I'm John Henry, and this is Open for Business, a branded podcast from eBay and Gimli Creative about building your business from the ground up. Today's episode is about pricing. How do you price your good or service? It's one of those questions that you have to have an answer for on day one, and you really, really want to get the right answer. Where better to begin a show all about pricing than here? The Price is Right is the longest running game show on TV. And the story we're about to tell gets at our first lesson about pricing. It all starts back in 2008 when a guy named Terry Nice did something on The Price is Right that hadn't been done in four decades. He did something that every business owner can learn a valuable lesson from. And it all started when Terry and his wife, Linda, had to put down their beloved dog, a Maltese named Crystal. When we had to put the dog down, the dog was only eight and a half years old. It was totally unexpected. It happened very suddenly. The dog developed cataracts, became uh, diabetic, and the health was deteriorating very quickly. And after that happened, we sat around rather depressed. And after two weeks of moping around the house... I said to my wife, we both have some vacation time. Let's go somewhere and do something. We've mm-hmm. got to get out of this funky mood that we're in. So my wife came home from work, and she was all excited. She said, I know what I want to do. Let's go over to California. I'd, I'd love to get on The Price is Right. The basic idea of The Price is Right is that contestants are selected from the studio audience to guess the prices of everyday things. Things like a stove or a recliner or a can of soup. And the contestant who gets closest to the exact price, without going over, wins. Now, Terry is what you'd call detail-oriented. And he's got a knack for numbers. And when he takes on a project, he really goes for it. After we decided that that's where we were going to go, I said, if we're going to go to The Price is Right, let's do it correctly. I said, Mm -hmm. let's study the show, Mm -hmm. and we'll go in the fall. Terry would record that day's episode in the afternoon. And then, when Linda came home from work... They'd watch the recording. It was just occupying the thoughts. It was keeping us from thinking about the dog that we had to put down. So we we did. We'd sit down every night and watch the show and look at the prizes that were up for grabs that day. And we started making a little mental list of, oh, this has been on before. This has been on before. And the first thing we noticed was that the prizes repeated. That's right. The longest-running TV game show in America. A show wherein the entire premise is correctly guessing the cost of its prizes was just using the same items over and over and over again. And the prices never changed. It's like seeing the answer key before you even get the pop quiz. But you'd never know it unless you study the show the way Terry did. All they had to do was just watch every single episode that they could, write down the prices, and memorize them. This went on for four months, until one morning, at 3 a.m., Terry and Linda got in line outside the Price is Right studio. From the Bob Parker studio at CBS in Hollywood, television's most exciting hour of fantastic prizes, the fabulous 60-minute Price is Right! What happened next made daytime TV history and gets at this episode's first lesson. Ten hours after they first got in line, Terry and Linda were seated in the Price is Right studio audience. Linda wore a t-shirt with Crystal the dog's face on it. 
Terry opted for a less flashy Las Vegas Loves the Price is Right t-shirt. And as usual, the crowd was going insane. Terry needs, come on down! So they hold up the name on a cue card and my wife nudged me and said, that's you, and I looked up and saw it. And of course you high five everybody and you run up on stage, you're ready to go. Terry was more than ready. First up, an outdoor grill. Here comes now Drew around on the turntable. It's a new ceramic cooker. The Big Green Egg is a grill, smoker, and oven offering unmatched cooking flexibility. Space Age ceramic. Terry recognized it immediately. Terry, 1175, Drew. 1175. It was on just two weeks prior to the time we went to tape. And my wife and I had said the night we had watched the tape of that show, I said, that would be kind of fun for us to have in the backyard. And of course, the 1175 price stuck right in my mind at that point. Did you have any doubt in your mind that you were right? No, no, I knew 1175 was it. Terry won the grill, and after that, he kept qualifying for more rounds, all the way until the very end of the show, the showcase. Terry had to bid on the combined price of a pool table, a karaoke machine, and a camper without going a single dollar over its retail value. Sounds really hard, right? Not for Terry. Well, the pool tables had been on before. They were using Golden West pool tables at the time. They were running between 28 and 32. So in my mind, I figured $3,000 for the pool table. The karaoke machine had been used several times prior, and I knew it was 1000 So I'm up to $4,000. I thought Rich Fields said it was a 19-foot camper, and usually with campers and boats, it's $1,000 a running foot. So at 19 feet, that would have been 19, 1,000 for the karaoke machine, 3,000 for the pool table, I'm up to 23. He's passing it on to Terry. Terry, what he bid for all that? It would have been an 18-foot trailer, she might have bid on it. But it was only a 23743 $23,743. $23,743. Wow. That's a very exact bid. Good luck. Sharon, here's your showcase. The 743 is where it really gets bizarre. My wife and I were married on the 7th of April, 7-4. She was born in March, 3, 743. Wow. Terry. You had the trailer, jukebox. Bit $23,743. Actual retail price, $23,743. You got it right on the nose. You're in both showcases. Hasn't happened since 72 or 73. Right on the nose. <laughs> I still get chills down my spine when I hear that. Bring back good memories. <laughs> uh, it, it does. It just, it, I just went totally numb at that point. It was uh. just like being dipped in Novocaine. <laughs> the numbness stayed with me for about a day and a half. And I, I, I was almost beginning to wonder if I was physically having some kind of an episode or something. What Terry did is so unlikely that he's only the second person in the history of The Price is Right to guess the exact dollar value of a showcase. And he did it by doing one simple thing, studying the show. Naturally, lots of people were skeptical. There were internet message boards filled with hateful comments accusing Terry of being involved in some type of conspiracy to rig the prices right. But he wasn't. And he didn't cheat. He just followed lesson one. Do your homework, do your homework, do your homework. Do your homework. It sounds really simple, but it can feel daunting when you're first starting out. 
How do you go about taking all the work and expense, the blood, the sweat, the tears that you've put into your business, and distilling all of that into a single number, the price of your product? Many businesses have gone under, or close to it, by picking the wrong price. So do your homework. That's lesson one. Everything starts there. The thing is, doing your homework used to take a lot of time. In the past, companies had to send people to actual physical stores all over the country in order to get information about their competitors' prices and set a baseline number. Now, there are tons of e-commerce sites that can help you find the right price. And one of those sites is eBay. I like to think of eBay as sort of like the Kelly Blue Book of everything. Zohair Karu is the chief data officer at eBay. And what Zohair is saying here is that you can use eBay as a resource to give you a sense of how much your product, almost any product, should cost. That's because of the massive scale and velocity of eBay, the sheer quantity of stuff that people buy and sell on the site. That's why he's comparing it to the Kelly Blue Book, which serves that same purpose for cars. We have such a vast number of items for sale. I think it's around 900 million different listings now. And eBay, of course, has brand new inventory, uh, but it also has, for example, last season's model, or it has maybe a refurbished version, a used version. So it's that breadth and depth of inventory and sales histories that allows us to think of the Kelly Blue Book of everything. Zohair takes all that information from those nearly 1 billion items across the site and creates tools for people to explore pricing. What's the average price of something? What if it's used? Has that price been going up or down? And by how much? It's a wealth of pricing data that you can access instantaneously on eBay. So big data has made it easier than ever to get the information you need in order to set your prices. But what comes after you do your homework? How do you zero in on that specific price you'll charge for your product? If you do it right, you can uh, bear fruit for a long time. And if you do it wrong, which is what happens in most cases, you're digging out of a hole for a long time. That's Mickey Goodman. He's worked for Kraft and Unilever and has taught classes on pricing strategy at NYU Stern. He's now a professor of business and entrepreneurship at Savannah College of Art and Design. First, let's explain what Mickey means by doing it wrong. He means, essentially, doing exactly what I did. Let's take it back to when I was setting prices for dry cleaning at my first company, Mobile City. I called all the dry cleaners in the area and pretended to be an interested customer. I asked how much for a shirt, how much for a blazer. Eventually, they'd get suspicious and stop giving me prices over the phone, so I'd get my girlfriend at the time to call. And then, once I knew the price range of what I was working with, I decided to charge just a little bit more for the service than what it cost me to provide it. In business speak, this is called cost-based pricing. And in my case, and lots of other cases, it's a mistake. That's what people intuitively do because it, it kind of makes common sense, which is you take your costs and you say, I'd like to make a 20% profit, you know, whatever it is. And you add 20% to your costs and you say, here's my price. If you go the cost-based route, you risk underselling yourself and leaving a lot of money on the table. It can cost you your business. It nearly cost me mine. I remember sitting in the living room with my pops. I was crunching the numbers. I usually did it every Sunday. 
And I realized I was gaining customers, but actually losing money. And that's because I simply was not charging enough. I called a mentor of mine, and I'll never forget what he told me. He said, John, you're delivering five-star quality at McDonald's prices. That conversation saved my company. The very next day, I immediately raised my prices. And while I lost a bunch of my customers at first, I ultimately found a new clientele that weren't as price sensitive. They were happy to pay a premium for the service I provided. This brings us to lesson two. Don't set a price based on what it costs you to make something. Instead, set the price based on what your customers think that thing is worth. This is what Mickey calls value-based pricing. It's based around the concept of, you know, when people are buying a good or service, it's because it's fulfilling some need for them. Now, at the most basic level, if they're, if they're thirsty and they buy a bottle of water, the need is that they were thirsty. Right. On the other hand, if they're you know, buying a house or picking a school for their kids or selecting a, a surgeon to have surgery, mm-hmm. the need that's being fulfilled is, is of a much higher level. So the way to think about it is the more important the need that's being fulfilled, the greater the value to the consumer. Okay, so lesson number two. Value-based pricing. Price your product based on how much it's worth to your potential customers. But how do you actually go about determining that value? What if you've invented something new? We wanted to follow a small business through this process of trying to set the right price. And so we asked one of our producers, Francis, to find one. Hey, Francis. Hey, John. (laughs) Welcome to the other side of the mic. (laughs) It's great to be here. (laughs) So what'd you find? Well, I found a business that's trying to set their prices right now. They're called Pushed, like the word push with the letter D at the end. And they have this really interesting pricing problem. And they let me spend a day with them while they try to solve it. Pushed was founded a few years ago by two of Twitter's early employees, as in their Twitter handles are just their first names, at Abder and at EJ. Cool. What do they do? Well, they used to develop apps, but they decided to take a risk and venture into hardware. Mm. They've invented an actual physical object. It's called the Aura, and it's an overhaul of something a lot of people really hate. Door chimes. It is not door chimes. Uh, It's a very high-end digital picture frame. Uh, I do hate those. But at least you remember them, those digital picture frames from the early 2000s. Yeah, the really, really tacky ones. Yeah. Jonathan Wirt is the head of marketing at Pushed, and he has a theory about why you and lots of other people hear the words digital picture frame and immediately think tacky. They were really ugly. They're really cheap. They're really hard to use. And so we're essentially trying to solve all three of those problems and apply 2016 innovation to it so it's really useful. Pushed saw an opportunity here. Mm -hmm. Digital picture frames used to suck. But they don't have to anymore. Pushed hired an industrial designer to come up with the aesthetics of the frame, the aura, to make sure that it looked tasteful. Mm -hmm. They also told me that they created an app to go with it to make sure it's really easy to use. You just set up the app once, and it uses these really sophisticated algorithms and facial recognition software to sort all of the photos on your phone into albums of the people you photograph most often. And then it filters through all those albums, so it takes out photos where there's red eye or they're too blurry or they're just sort of technically bad compositions, like Mm -hmm. too light or too dark. And it can even filter out naked photos. Well, that's useful. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so right now, Pushed is trying to figure out both the value, going back to Mickey, mm-hmm. and the price of the aura. Do you have lots of picture frames in your house right now? I have. Yeah, I have quite a few. This is what Push does several times a week. They invite people to come into their office, and they beta test this new product that they've created. The beta tester today is named Savio Clemente, and he's in the pushed office to test out the aura and then answer a couple key questions. Jonathan Wirt, head of marketing at Pushed, wants to know. Part one is, how much do you think this costs to buy? And how much would you, what's the max you personally would pay for it? In many ways, Savio is an ideal customer for Pushed. He mentioned that he's into feng shui, which means he obviously cares about his home decor. And he said that he has over 26,000 photos on his phone. Savio appreciated all the handiwork Pushed put into the aura, like the woven herringbone printed cord that they had specially designed. And yet, when it came down to how much he'd be willing to pay... I think something like this is probably worth 150 I would not pay more than 225 Savio landed at close to half of what Pushed wants to charge. So I asked Jonathan if I could tell Savio how much Pushed is going to charge for the Aura. Can I tell him what the price is? Sure. The going rate for this is $399. Yeah, that's expensive for the size. As is, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay $399. After Savio left, I asked Jonathan if it freaked him out that their price was so off-target with this one potential customer. It's a weird experience to come in here and do that. Like, you came into a beta test, you're getting paid, you're using something that's half-finished. Um, in a room where, like, I'm videotaping you and writing down notes, it's, like, an awkward experience. And then you were, like, guessing this number. I don't expect them to get it right. Um, I have to ask, like... You're framing it like they're getting the answer wrong. But what if you guys are getting the answer wrong? How do you know that you're not getting the answer wrong? I mean, you don't, until you launch, you don't really know. Obviously, this is a concern for them. It's a concern for all entrepreneurs. What Pushed is facing is a problem that lots of business owners face. When we consumers are presented with a product, we naturally and immediately make mental comparisons. We ask ourselves... What is this thing like? And then we form our opinion about what the price should be. And in Savio's case, I got a clue about how this works when Jonathan brought up the iPad. And Savio described his mental comparisons. Well, I just felt like with the iPad, it's like it's like um, there's a multi-purpose to it. I can actually do many things with the iPad. I can actually it's it's portable. I can take it with me. And it can load videos, show me websites, do all, all sorts of different things on it. This one seems like it's one-dimensional, so I just feel like the price point doesn't seem like it justifies $399 for it, because I mean, that was only, what, $200, $150 more, and it could do like multitudinous things as opposed to this. Instead of thinking of the Aura as a high-end home decor item, like a piece of art where $399 might seem like a steal, Savio is mentally putting it in the consumer electronics category. And this challenge that Pushed is facing gets to the heart of our third lesson. As a business owner, you have to manipulate your comparisons. What you want to do is differentiate your offering so much that there is no straightforward comparison. You have something that's somewhat unique. That's Ruth Bolton. She worked with Verizon for years, helping them with their pricing. These days, she's an academic 
teaching at Arizona State University's business school. In plain English, what Ruth is saying is to position your product in the marketplace so that when people inevitably compare your product to similar ones out there, they'll feel like they're getting a good deal. There's always, in a sense, a competitive offering in that that there's some substitute that the customer will make if they can't buy the service or the product that you're offering. Uh, So it really comes down to kind of benefits per dollar. One other point about manipulating comparisons, or the kinder, gentler way of saying it, creating favorable comparisons. One way to position your product in the marketplace is to literally position it in the right environment. So with Pushed, they want you to think fancy home decor when you see the aura. Well, if they want to do that, it might just be helpful to put them in a fancy home decor showroom with the aura, not a startup's temporary office space. And there's one more thing that Ruth would do differently. She doesn't ask open-ended questions about prices the way that Jonathan does at Pushed. What she would do is ask each customer a single yes or no question. Would you buy it or not? And then you do it again with somebody else. Would you buy it or not? That's it? Yeah, that's it. You don't push back. You don't ask how they arrived at that number. And that's because it's more realistic. With pricing, it's almost always a yes or no question. Would you buy it or not? And you start varying the price. And so you kind of sort of can figure out what the shape of that demand curve is. Yeah, so the shape of the demand curve is pretty much what we've been talking about this whole time. How to set a price. And fairly soon, Pushed is going to find out the specific shape of their demand curve. Because they're going to launch the Aura sometime this fall. Cool. I'll keep an eye out. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. So to recap, there is no guaranteed way to pick the perfect price, but there are concrete steps you can take to get close. First, do your homework. The good news, it's now easier than ever with all the data that we're gathering from e-commerce sites like eBay. That will give you a range of prices. Second, once you've found that range, be bold. Pick a number that reflects the value you bring to your customers, not just your own production costs. Third, create favorable comparisons. Position your product so that customers feel like they're getting a fair deal. And one way to position your product is to pay close attention to how you're physically positioning it. Finally, be prepared to repeat steps one through three. Prices change, they're dynamic. That's part of why they're so hard to set in the first place. Even on the prices right. After Terry's spectacular win, The show's producers switched it up. The show now features all new prizes. And guess what? Their prices change. That's it for the show this week. We'll be back next week with an episode on the much maligned, much misunderstood art of marketing. Running a business while figuring out how to tell the right story about your business? That's next week on Open for Business. Open for Business is a branded podcast from eBay and Gimlet Creative. Our theme song is by Wolfpack. If you want to hear more from Open for Business, visit ebay.com slash openforbusiness, where you can find more episodes of this podcast, as well as tools and information on how to start or grow a business on eBay. And to learn more about the tools that Zohair Karu from eBay was talking about, 
the tools that can help you research pricing by mining eBay's vast data, go to datalabs.ebay.com. And congratulations to Jonathan Wirt from Pushed. He's getting married this weekend. Subscribe to us, and if you like the show, leave a review. It really does help. Open for Business is on iTunes and Google Play. I'm John Henry. Thanks for listening.